SCCT invites you to Las Vegas for SCCT 2022. Over three days, July 15th through 17th, attendees can get a complete overview of the cardiovascular CT field. Planned sessions are targeted for all levels, new practitioners and experienced providers alike. Sessions also range from general overviews to state-of-the-art research and expert discussions. Visit scct.org for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. My name is Praveen Ranganath, and I'm a radiologist in Dallas, Texas. I have two new co-hosts with me today, Mike and Dixitha. Mike and Dixitha, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves to our audience? Thank you, Praveen, for uh, having us on. It's really uh, appreciated. My name, as he said, is Michael Gannon. I'm a cardiologist and cardiac imager at Temple University Hospital in Pennsylvania, assistant professor. And it's really a pleasure to be on here to talk about calcium scoring, which although it's been around for a long, I think it'll be really interesting to talk about. And I'll, I'll hand it over to Dixitha now to introduce herself. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on the podcast. My name is Dixitha Inugula, and I'm an advanced cardiac imaging fellow at Houston Methodist DeBakey Heart and Vascular Center. I'm looking forward to the great discussion. Excellent. Mike and Dixit, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And we are joined by a esteemed guest, Dr. Karam Nasir, who will be helping us explore the wild world of coronary calcium. Mike and Dixit, why don't you go ahead and introduce Karam for us? So I guess I'll start with uh, introducing Dr. Nasir, and Dixit has the pleasure of being able to work with him currently every day. But Dr. Nasir is a professor of cardiology chief of the Division of Cardiovascular Prevention and Wellness and the Department of Cardiology down at the Bakey Methodist, as well as an appointment at Welconor Medical College. It's a pleasure to have you, Dr. Karam Nasir. Thank you so much, uh, Praveen and uh, Dixita, Mike. I've been a big fan of the podcast. I definitely tune in whenever I get the chance to learn a lot. And more importantly, I'm here to have a more candid more open discussion just to get a sense of not only what I think, but more importantly, what everyone else is thinking, what the future of calcium testing looks like in the midst of all the other modalities that we have currently adopted. Thank you for that. I guess maybe we'll just jump right in then, if that's okay. So I I think anyone listening is probably familiar with some of the more technical aspects and 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 the bread and butter of coronary calcium scoring in in our intermediate asymptomatic patients but i guess something that we'd like to hear your perspective on on is what what's kind of going on in the new frontiers this is, it's been around for a while but there is a lot of exciting literature coming out and i guess just an overview of what you see as the exciting new application of coronary artery calcium scoring This is an interesting point. You know, when you suggested that everyone's well aware, I understand that, of course, in November 2018, the guideline boosted made room and claimed a larger role for the calcium testing. And everyone was suggesting, well, of course, this is inevitable. But I can tell you, it was a hard journey. Uh, You would be surprised to know that the landmark paper by Arthur Eggerston that described the calcium score in 1990, a year before, when it was submitted to American Heart Association, it was rejected. 
So hindsight is 2020. And I, I can tell you, it took a while uh, for us to get where we are. And thankfully to a lot of my colleagues and their work that clearly demonstrated that as far as our traditional methods of assessment for risk, which is based on risk factors and biomarkers are extremely imprecise, significantly over prediction of risk and the irrespective of how you dice or slice the pie of risk factors, one third to one half of them would have a calcium score of zero and their revised risk is much lower than anticipated. Even if you're a candidate for therapy, many colleagues like Mike Blaha showing that it was peerless as compared to other tests. If you are thinking about de-risking, it's cost effective. And of course, a fantastic data from Todd Villanis and his group suggesting that even if you fantasize of treating a lot of individuals with a calcium score of zero, there is really no benefit. As a result, with the weight of this data in 2018, we finally established that even if you are a candidate for therapy, that intermediate 5 to 20% significant individuals will have a calcium score of zero. And it's okay to be flexible and avoid or delay the therapy. Now, I'm sure if in five years, you and I will speak again, uh, we will consider this as a watershed moment where our community started moving away from the approach of risk factor-based guesstimation to one, which is see disease and treat disease. But at the same time, I, I think that we still have to look into the future because that's where we're going to spend most of the time. And looking back, I think that the guidelines, although went three steps ahead, they took a couple of steps back and weren't too sure where the calcium score would fit in. For example, in my view, in the next five years, there are three or four major applications which we can discuss. Number one is the continued reliance on risk factors for risk assessment. For example, the guidelines suggest that you should consider a battery of tests or risk factors called risk-enhancing factors such as family history, elevated CRP, LP little a, the new kid on the block, even South Asian ancestries, their metabolic syndrome, CKD. And if you have any of those risk factors, maybe that should be enough. But I, almost four months back, J.D. Patel and Mahmoud Al-Rafai in JAMA Cardiology clearly showed that you may be a candidate for statin therapy and have at least three risk-enhancing factors of those, but will still have a calcium score of zero and your 10-year risk is below 5%. Clearly, what we are now getting an idea that in the future, if we are interested in the concept of risk assessment, then we better start with the calcium scoring. Right. The second thing is in the high risk groups, such as those with diabetics, hyperlipidemia, and even genetically confirmed FH, the guidelines suggest there is there are such a high risk that there is no need for further risk assessment, especially with the calcium scoring, and you should just treat them as aggressively and consider them a homogeneously high-risk group. But recent studies from Matt Budoff and Shaista Malik have clearly shown that that's not the case with diabetes, and the power of zero definitely holds there. Same thing in severe hyperlipidemia in MESA, the studies have suggested that even if you have an LDL more than 190, about one third will have a calcium score of zero. And their 10-year risk is 3.5%, well below the threshold where we should consider statin. I'm not saying that we shouldn't start them on statin, but we can be flexible. And this study was led by Lawrence Sperling. And Marcio Bittencourt and Moaz and Amalak 
did a beautiful editorial on that, said the power of zero passes, another test suggesting that we still have room for further stratification here. The third thing is the familial hypercholesterolemia, our group with Raul Santos and many others have been very active. We have shown for the first time that actually a lot of individuals, almost 45% of FH, genetically confirmed FH, have calcium score of zero. And when you follow them for the next five years, they actually have no events. So we are raising the question whether they, although all of them should get statins and a highest dose statins, whether there is room to be flexible for more expensive therapies like PCSK9, Two other areas where I, three other areas actually. One is, of course, now the design for the future primary uh, prevention clinical trials. As you know, in oncology, there is this huge concept of double enrichment. This is especially for more expensive therapies where you identify individuals on based on their risk and double enrich them with either genetics, biomarkers, or imaging. And Miguel Canzos from... Uh, Methodist has clearly shown that that approach is going to be extremely cost effective and efficient for industry and for others to uh, enroll these patients and complete these studies. Fourth is the calcium testing is considered to be limited to age 40 and 75. However, many upcoming studies have suggested if you do targeted screening, uh, with multiple risk factors, especially strong family history of premature CBD, you may find at least one in three or one in four who may have premature atherosclerosis may not have a calcium greater than 100, but finding a disease to change the trajectory of the future cardiovascular disease. So I believe that age is just the number and we are ripe to lower the bar for the coronary calcium testing. And finally, I, I'm very excited about the role of the CT angiogram in understanding the biology of the plaque development and progression. As you know, the calcium testing does not provide us those, those information. What are the social, biological determinants What's the added value of non-calcified plaque and high-risk plaque features in a community? And in this regard, uh, I had the honor of working with Dixita in Miami on the Miami Heart Study, which we have completely enrolled. We demonstrated for the first time in this community-based population cohort in U.S., the only study that exists that the plaque burden is extremely diverse as far as not only the presence and the burden is concerned, but the features and we have tons of data now eventually that we'll be looking at the prognostic value above and beyond the calcium testing, but also trying to understand what causes resilience and vulnerability. So in short, Mike, it's such an exciting time. I think we already have a well-established role of calcium testing for shared decision-making for statins. But now looking beyond, there are many emerging applications and I think that we will be expanding the role of the calcium testing very much in the near future and it's ready for prime time. Thank you. I think that that's very helpful. I think you, you bring up a, a, an excellent point in that a lot of times we think about how will calcium score change our management, particularly if someone is already on a statin. And so should should we do it? And I think you kind of highlight that it, it goes both ways and so that even people on statin should potentially undergo calcium scoring, which I think is, you know, kind of a paradigm shift in a lot of, of what people think and how people practice. So I think that that's a really good point. 
Absolutely. You bring up a great point, Mike, and excellent overview, Dr. Nasser. While uh, Mike brought up the point of patients on statin having a calcium score, could you shed a little bit more light on uh, what would be a little bit more details on good assessment of these patient population on statins and the repeat calcium score testing, Dr. Nasser? Right. So, you know, if you look at the current guidelines or what's the prime time application is truly trying to understand among candidates or who have much higher risk if you're uncertainty about commitment for a lifelong statin use. Of course, that's the number one role. But among beyond that, what we are learning is clearly we are not now limited only to statins in our primary prevention interventions. I would say our options have significantly expanded. For example, additional lipid-lowering therapies. Do we need to target LDL less than 70? Aspirin is a big, big challenge right now, especially with the uncertainties in the primary prevention setting. And now the growing options, for example, the fish, eicosapient, ethyl, the cardiometabolic drugs. So let me tell you what we do in our practices are that most of the time, even beyond statins. So, uh, for example, if you're a diabetic or you're already on a statin, a calcium testing helps us understand what is happening beneath the bonnet. You may have a calcium score of zero and you're already on a statin that allows us to be flexible on that doesn't mean you have to come off statins if the patient's not averse it's a great vitamin that lowers the ldl and lowers inflammation let's continue on that but if somebody has a calcium score of 100 especially in presence of risk factors for example diabetes now we have clear indication that the risk is almost chd equivalent so we have a checklist approach for them that we maximize the statin we get their LDL less than 70. If they're unable to get there, definitely now we have newer options. Of course, azitamide, bimbadoic acid, and PCSK9 inhibitors if needed. Aspirin, uh, clearly studies from Miguel Canzos and Amit Khera and others have shown that in the primary prevention setting, that means you don't have an established cardiovascular disease, a calcium score of 100 is an excellent flag to identify where the benefit is going to outweigh the risk. And thirdly, an area where I'm pretty excited about is diabetes is with a calcium greater than 100. And now with the newer guidelines suggesting that you don't have to start with metformin, it's an excellent tool to us to guide us whether you may be somebody who would can be a candidate, and we should be pushing more like the GLP-1 receptor agonist and the SGLT-2 inhibitors. And same thing with the eicosapient ethyl. Studies from our group just recently published from Jack Imaging clearly suggested that actually there are many more patients who are not candidate for eicosapient ethyl, but with calcium scoring, with a score of greater than 100, can identify those who may likely benefit. So in essence, while the power of zero is extremely well established and having flexible goals, on the other extreme, the power of calcium 100 is a clear flag that can reduce the noise for us in identifying who are the highest risk candidates among whom more aggressive interventions and targets will help. Of course, we need more randomized clinical trials, but the clinical equipoise and the data is clearly there to support these processes as these initiatives and these targets in the clinical practice. So Karam, with regards to that last point, I have heard quite a few criticisms with regards to coronary calcium and outcomes. Certainly, I think we all agree 
that there is robust data to support the prognostic value of coronary calcium in these intermediate and high-risk patients. However, I wanted to get your viewpoint on those criticisms that some of the our critiques out there have regarding the potential absence of outcomes-related data in the context of, say, statins or more advanced preventive therapies and coronary calcium. I think we, we have to think all of this in the context. You know, what most of the outcomes data, because folks are still, I think, so fixated in this concept that this is a screening test. And, you know, that's how calcium testing started. The concept of the screening test is that you are not a candidate for therapy, for example, statin, and you do a test, you find disease, and then you assess whether treatment of those individuals with a statin or something would help reduce the events. Now, of course, if you look, look at the St. Francis study done on a small population way back in 2000, early 2000, that showed that, yes, even in that small group, there was a 3% absolute reduction of event in those with any calcium score and an about 7% absolute risk reduction, which was statistically significant with the calcium greater than 400. Now, that said, in spite of significant push by the prevention and imaging community, unfortunately, neither the industry or NIH supported a clinical trial. Doesn't mean there wasn't an appetite. But, you know, the things changed in 2013 with the newer guidelines when we broadened the scope of individuals who were getting into the statin club. Almost two-thirds of the adults are already candidate of statins. And I really like the comment by Dr. Phil Greenland that when so many individuals are candidates for therapy, do we really need another screening test? And that really moved us as a group to where we believe that our stakeholders, which is helping the, and making them the decision, be it a clinician, a patient, or a health system, are going to value de-risking, which was brought in as a newer concept. We have never done testing to de-risk individuals to help understand who may not benefit. So while we need clinical trials definitely to show if you're not candidate for therapy by identifying and treating them that can reduce outcomes, there is absolutely no need to show that, do a clinical trial to demonstrate the safety of a test when previously a group was thought higher risk, but prospective study has shown that even beyond the clinical trial follow-up, there are a lower risk. So for the calcium score of zero, I don't think we need a clinical trial. However, for the newer novel aspects that I just discussed, for example, PCSK9, icosapient ethyl, and even the cardiometabolic, I think so the timing is right where individuals there are two mechanisms where you can have a standard of care versus calcium testing or just screen individuals with diabetes who have a calcium greater than 100 and randomizing them to, apart from a lipid-loading therapy, some of these novel GLP-1s or SGLT-2, and the same thing can happen with icosapid data. So in short, what we have the application right now, I don't think we need a randomized clinical trial for that. For the future application, I'm very excited and I think so we should actively pursue that. Outstanding review, Dr. Nasir, of putting everything together. Exciting times for the calcium score in uh, the field uh, beyond the screening test. And so we wanted to thank Dr. Karam Nasir for his thoughts and, and great discussion on calcium scoring, current 
status and 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 the the new frontiers of it as well as preventive cardiology and it's been such a good discussion with him that we're going to uh, actually have a part two looking at acute and stable chest pain but we want to thank him for all of his thoughts and discussion on calcium scoring and preventive cardiology so far Excellent. Thanks to Mike and Dixitha for coming on as co-hosts. Thanks to Karam for joining on the podcast. And thank you to our listeners, as always, for tuning in. Once again, this is the Donut of Destiny. Cheers.